Well, I certainly hope that over the last several weeks you have uh, uh, felt like we've been coming together. Uh, we came together, uh, chapter 1, and just simply said, uh, you know what, we're together in sin. It's a tough spot to be. In chapters 3 and 4, we looked and we said, hey, we have the opportunity to be together in, in this incredible faith in the work of God and the power of what He is capable of doing. Uh, last week, we, we came together and we said, hey, hey we, we have an opportunity together to choose who our representative is going to be and to live in the hope that He, he offers to us. A hope that, that no matter what happens in life, things Things with God will turn out the way that we want them to. That ultimately, He is the answer. And this morning, this morning, we come around and we are going to say together in chapter 6, together, we get to live in the grace of God. We get to live in the grace of God together. We get to live for God. And we get to do that together. Have you ever really pondered the magnificence of God's grace? Uh, have you looked and, and thought about how tremendous this, this idea of God's grace really is? I, I, I think of it every time I begin to think of grace. I not only think of my life, but the, uh, the lives of others whom God's grace has touched. I think of my good friend Jeff, who I mentioned many times in services before, who, who was an absolute drug addict, who, who was addicted to drugs, so, so much so that, that it actually controlled the movements of his life. It cost him great relationships. And there he was, slave to an addiction. And and it was a privilege for me to, to be able to, to walk with Jeff in, in the grace of God. I remember the day that he married his wife. I was there. I, I got to officiate the service. And now, and now Jeff has made it his life's work to go about and share grace with others who are marginalized or in the side of, of grace that, that he was once in. Grace. It's magnificent, isn't it? We have all the stories of Scripture that just kind of echo grace, right? I mean, we read stories of, of David, this guy who, who Scripture says was a, a man after God's own heart. And yet we, we read into to David's life and we realize who he really was, don't we? That David had his own issues with, uh, with sin, uh, we find out that, that he was an adulterer and a murderer. And, and yet this is a man who, who, who Scripture says was, was God's man. A man after God's own heart. His whole heart belonged to God. And we go, man, that's the grace of God at work. We read, we read uh, uh, through books like Judges and, and we come to, to Samson who seems to have done everything wrong. And yet... At the end of his life, it seems like somehow, some way, God's grace was able to touch even the life of Samson, who quite frankly did, did everything wrong and he was kind of stupid about it. Can you identify with that? God's grace is magnificent, wonderful, tremendous, and yet 
And yet over the years, there has been this unhealthy view of God's grace. I remember when I was a kid and uh, I had this uh, really good friend. His name was, uh, his fr- his, his name was Patrick. And uh, Patrick uh, belonged to the, the Catholic church in town. And, and, and this isn't an anti-Catholic thing, but that's where he chose to go to the church. And, and, and uh, somewhere along the way, Patrick had, had, had got this idea about God's grace that, that he was good, that he, he was sprinkled as an infant, that, that he had been confirmed by the church, that he took communion regularly, and, and so it really didn't matter how he chose to live his life because, after all, God's grace was good. Maybe you've heard similar things. In my years in ministry, I, I wish I could say that there have not been times where, uh, where people have hinted at the idea that, that they're already forgiven and so it doesn't matter how they live. After all, they've already been baptized. They go to church. They, they take communion. And God's, God's grace is over them. To save them from an unhealthy view of God's grace, the Apostle Paul would write to his friends in the book of Romans. He, he would write to them, and he would say to them, don't concern yourself with how much sinning you can get away with. Don't concern yourself with how much sin you can do and, and still have God's grace cover you. He says, instead, instead, think about who you live for and think about who you are. He's going to say your aim in life is to live selflessly for God. If you want to see the words that Paul writes to his friends, go ahead and join me in Romans chapter 6. He's going to begin to say, hey, don't, don't concern yourself with how much sin you can get away with. Think about who you are and think about who you live for. If you need a Bible in front of you, it's going to be uh, page 785, Romans chapter 6. Grace is a powerful thing, but we want to have a healthy view of it. Paul begins to his friends in Rome and he says this, uh, what shall we say? Uh, What shall we say? You see, he has just said in the previous chapter that um, hey, hey, uh, you know what? When, when sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so he, he follows up with this next question. What, what should we say? Uh, should we go on sinning so that grace might increase? No way, Jose. Uh, that's the Mike Cahill translation. By no means, he says. We died to sin. How, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. We know that our old self, it was crucified with Him so that the body of sin would be done away with. It would be powerless that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Woohoo! 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, uh, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Don't, put a, uh, don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. How do we live under grace? How do we begin to offer our lives in living for God? To think about who we are and whom we serve. Paul opens up in the first section of this chapter that I've read for you. He opens up and he says, Hey, hey Christians, remember the grace of your baptism." Remember the grace of your baptism. Now that Paul is making an assumption about those whom he's writing to. He's making the assumption that that those who came to believe, who had faith in who God was and the power of what God could do, uh, followed that up with being baptized. And this wasn't just a symbol that there was actually some mysterious work of God that was taking place. A mysterious work of God that, well, is mysterious. But he says, he says so clearly that what was happening is that there was some unity taking place. That what God was doing was joining us to Himself and His death and His burial and His resurrection. Paul wasn't discounting faith in baptism. He was just saying, hey, there's an assumption that everybody needs to know about. We have to remember the grace of our baptism. Uh, If you were to think about baptism, perhaps, like a marriage ceremony, uh, perhaps you could say that, uh, that this Faith and confession would be something like a bride and a groom coming up and, and saying their vows and maybe the exchange of two rings together. That everybody's there and they recognize it and that, and that baptism happens to be the consummation of the process of conversion. That, that it's the seal that says, yes, you now belong with Christ. And God, and him, God Himself has done this extraordinary work of uniting you with Him. And he says, there is tremendous grace here. He says, he says in a manner of speaking, you don't live for sin anymore, you live for God. Did you notice uh, this is like hard, deep, theological stuff? But when we begin to get into baptism, we recognize that we have been united with Him in death. Did you notice all the verses about us having died? Uh, Look at verse 2. He says, right right away, we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In verse 4, he says, we were buried with Him in baptism into death. 
In verse 5, he says, uh, we have been united with him like this in death. In verse 6, for, uh, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, we don't live for sin anymore. We live for God. Christians. If we want a proper view of God's grace, we have to recognize that we have been unified with God into His death. And Christ died to sin so that we might die with Christ. And if we've died with Christ, then we no longer live for sin. Uh, Think about it this way. Let's say that there's a man who, in his life, he had wandering eyes. You know the kind of man I'm talking about. He had wandering eyes. He liked to look at women. Sometimes he would even more than look. A pretty stewardess on an airplane would go by and he might let his hand go in places it shouldn't. But then there was a day that he was in the hospital. He had pneumonia, and pneumonia went throughout his body, and eventually he took his last breath. He was laying there dead in the hospital room. And interestingly enough, a real cute young nurse comes walking in. And there he is, laying on the hospital bed, dead. And he doesn't look at her. He doesn't let his hand reach up. Why? Because he's dead. What Paul is saying is that we, when we have been united with Christ like this in our baptism, when Christ has died to sin once for all and we have died with Christ, that we are as dead as that man to sin. We are standing there, well, standing, we don't stand dead. We're laying there dead. With sin even walking in the door and we're motionless to it. Because we've died to it. Because we've died with Christ. And He's died for us to sin. And so the addiction, we're dead to that. And the need for power and control, we're dead to that. And greed and gossip, we're we're dead to sin. Paul's going to say it another place and in another part of the Bible. He's going to say in Colossians chapter 1, he's going to come back again to, to our baptism in this grace. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he's going to continue on. He says, uh, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. 
And he comes down in verse 8 and he says, Now rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And he goes on and on and on. Hey, hey gang, guess what? If we have died with Christ, we've died to sin. We're dead to sin. And so if we want to have a proper view of God's grace, then we have to come back and remember what it was that God did in our baptism. He united us with His death so that we would no longer live for sin. And here's the thing. If we have died with Christ, if we are learning to live in the grace of dying with Christ, then we also live in the grace of God to to live for Him. We live to figure out how to die, but we live also so that we might actually figure out how to live. You see, in verse 10 and 11 of the text in chapter 6, it says this. Christ died to sin so that He might live for God. And then He comes back in verse 11 and says, so now we live to Christ. We live to Christ. Look at Verse 10 and verse 11, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We, we die to sin because we've died with Christ, but we live for God because Christ lived for him, and we want to live that way. Did you know that all of us will be slaves to something? Like sometimes we think that like we're going to get out of being a slave. I'm not a slave. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm free of slavery. Uh, uh, eh. Right? Like if I just gave you a true false, will you be a slave to something? And you said false, right? You all got it wrong. But that's okay. That's okay. That's why we're here, right? See, Paul's going to say we're all a slave to something. The, the question is, Whose slave will you be? Whose master will you be? Or, 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 or who, who will be your master, rather? Uh, in verse 16, uh, and, and really through 18, uh, Paul clarifies this, this so well. Let me just read it. Uh, Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are a slave to the one whom you obey? That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You get to live for God. You have the opportunity to live for God. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. When, when Paul says that you crucified your old self, here's what he's saying. There's two cities, okay? One is Sin City, and the other is Gracetown, all right? He's saying when, when you were united with Christ, uh, when you believed in Him, 
When you confessed your sin, when you were uh, united with Him in baptism, in this mighty work of God, you went from living fully in Sin City, obeying the rules of Sin City, and He transformed you, and He brought you from Sin City into Gracetown. Is that pretty good? And He's saying, hey, hey, you're living in Gracetown. Now live like you live in Gracetown. Are you, are you tracking? You, you don't live here anymore. You don't live in this realm anymore. You, you live over here. And your master's entirely different. You see, when we begin to live fully and understand what it's like to live out God's great, magnificent grace, then it's incompatible with living for sin. Now, uh, what if... <laughs> Now, Josh was telling me before service how much he loves this guitar. He was just saying to me, like, this is a guitar that he never wants to get rid of. Now, what if I had a peg that I needed to drive? Yeah, some of you are tracking with me. And all I had was this guitar. You think Josh would be a little upset if I said that I'm going to use this instrument to drive the stake? Now, first of all, it's not going to work very well. And second of all, it's going to ruin a really nice guitar. Right? It's incompatible, isn't it? It's not the right tool for the job. And Josh would have every reason for me to be extraordinarily upset. Paul says, if you have gone from Sin City to Gracetown, then you live for God. Then you're a slave to righteousness. That your master is no longer sin." That it's become powerless over you. You don't, you don't answer to it anymore. You live here. So don't use the beautiful life that God has given you to go and continue to sin. He says it in, in imperative after imperative, command after command in verse 11 through 14. He says, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God. Gang, you are an instrument of God's grace. He has done a magnificent work in you. Don't continue to sin. Stop sinning. Now maybe all of you are squirming in your seats a bit, like I was when I first opened up this passage, because here's the issue, isn't it? Maybe you, like me, sin once in a while. And you have to answer the question, okay, I've sinned. Does that mean I've fallen from grace? 
does that mean that, that suddenly I'm obeying the master of sin? Does that mean that I'm no longer covered by God's blood? That my sins are going to come haunt me? It's a great question. It's one I think Paul answers. And the question is, really, who is your master? You see, there's a paradox in the text, one that's so tenacious that, that we have all had all sorts of theological debate about it. We, uh, we like to argue over it, in fact. But there's a paradox, and it goes something like this. Sin is powerless over you. You have died to sin, but it's still in your nature. Here's the difference. Do you live for sin or do you live for God? And sometimes you sin. Do you find yourself living in, in Sin City and, and you love it? Or are you living in, in Gracetown and, and you look over once in a while and you decide to travel over to Sin City only to come back and go, oh, that was really dumb. Who's your master? Does sin master over you or does God? And you say, well, gosh, Mike, I want more answers than that. How do I know that, that I'm covered, that I'm good? It seems like Paul begins to answer the question in Romans chapter 12, uh, when he talks about this process of transformation that seems to be ongoing in the Christian life, he says uh, in verse 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, this isn't original with me, but you probably already know uh, that when you put living uh, sacrifices up on the altar, they can crawl off. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's interesting, isn't it? When we get to chapter 7 next week, the opening of, of chapter 7 is going to be Paul going, I, I'm a wretched man. I still sin. So who are you living for? Who are you living for? You see, the transformation process is like going around in a, uh, in, in a racetrack. Anybody NASCAR fans? Nobody. Okay, so there's these big cars. They have lots of horsepower. They try and dial them in to go in a giant oval as fast as they can. Sometimes 200 plus miles an hour. Okay, everybody tracking with me? 
Now, I had a friend recently tell me that he got to go and like drive one of these NASCARs, like they, you pay money and you go to one of these ovals and they say, all right, here you go, some training, how to drive, and, and, and you know, ready, set, go. And you get so much time in order to try and go as fast as you can in an oval. All right, now we're talking about the transformation of God. How is it that we struggle with sin and yet we're not slaves to it, okay? So you go around and around, and here's the thing. He said some people just go out and they try and step on the pedal and they don't go very fast. If you want to go fast in an oval, you have to build up momentum. He said it's a matter of of being consistent in your line all the way around the track. And every time you go around, you keep that line and you go a little faster and a little faster and a little faster and a little faster until you're going over 200 miles an hour. And all those other jokers out there that aren't making consistent decisions on the track are not going very fast. How do you live for God instead of live for sin? You get on the track and you make consistent decisions about living for God. Because you're going to find that as you make consistent decisions for living for God, what happens? The momentum gets bigger and you go faster and you begin to make more decisions because you've been transformed by God. And so you begin to invite and you begin to share and you begin to serve and you begin to read and you begin to lead and you begin to do all these crazy things. And you're making up new ways and new choices of living for God. Why? Because you are being transformed by Him. And you're just going faster and faster and faster and living for and in the grace of God. Because you're like, this, this is what it means to live in God's grace. I'm not worried about trying to get away with sin. I'm worried about who I am and who I serve. And how do you know you're living a transformed life? And, And here's a test. Here's a question you can begin to ask yourself over and over again. How do I know I'm living the transformed life? My life, my life is about serving others. Is my life about serving others? Is my life selfless? This week I heard a story, there was a gal and uh, and she had one of these just tirade texts. And she'd sent it to her friend. And her friend was really hurt by it. And, and she was like, I can't believe that this person who I thought was my friend would say this to me. And she was just uh, terribly hurt. And knowing that her friend was hurt, uh, the text came back again. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for how the text I sent made you think about me. But that's not an apology, is it? You see, they're not really sorry about having hurt somebody else. They're just sorry that now you think of them in a different way. If you want to live the transformed life, 
you live it selflessly, and you recognize where God's grace is, and you say, I am going to live for that because I've died to self so I might live for Christ. So again, you want to have a right view of God's grace? Think about who you are. Think about who you serve. And live selflessly for God. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness. You open up your word to us. And, and I pray, Father, for everybody that we will find a way to live for you. I pray, gracious God, that, that we would join ourselves with you in baptism in that grace of a work that you're doing, that we would be united with you in a real way and our lives would be transformed to live out that grace, no longer in Sin City, but in Gracetown. Father, you're good to us, and I thank you for your goodness. We love you. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen.